Hello, and welcome to Tech Connects, DICE's podcast where we dig into the topics on tech hiring, recruiting, and careers that matter to you. I'm your host, Nick Kolakowski, and I'm going to talk to great guests every month about the current state of the tech careers world, including the tech job market, the hottest tech skills, what companies are doing to attract and retain technology professionals in a historically tight market, and much, much more. Our guest today is Sethu M., co-founder of Zluri, an SaaS, that's software as a service, management startup that offers ways for companies to make their software spend more efficient. Like so many co-founders and CEOs right now, Sethu is gearing up to welcome a new group of interns into his company's offices. And I thought it'd be great to talk about how companies can find interns who match their culture and priorities, what potential interns should look for as they pursue those opportunities, and how tech teams can ensure that interns access a company's data in a safe and secure way. So let's listen in. So I, I want to talk to you in particular about interns and internships um, to start off, and then also kind of talk about everything that you're doing in terms of software as a service, software as a service wastage, kind of all that good stuff, and maybe even try to find some intersections between the two of them, although it might take us a little bit to kind of bend in that direction. Um, you know, and and by the time this podcast is aired, it's going to be sort of the high season for interns to be joining the organizations that they apply to, you know, and kind of being on-ramped and so on. And so from a company perspective, I was curious, what should companies, particularly tech companies, kind of look for in interns? And how do they ensure that this part that's coming up, this, this intern onboarding process is adjusted to fit the company's priorities, its culture, everything that, you know, sort of makes a company a company. Sure. Uh, so um, I can probably start off with generally how companies are looking at it today and what at Zluri we do specifically. So mm-hmm. I think uh, today internships are quite popular across all functions in a company. I think not just for tech, but across think areas like design, marketing, sales, and whatnot. And I primarily think um, it stems from the fact that today people want experiences more than just jobs, uh, which means they would like to kind of um, taste or or experience before committing, right? I think that's how everything around them, um, they've used to and grown up that way today. I think the interns today are probably the other folks who were born post-2000, I think probably in the, in the peak internet era, uh, and probably they have lived the teens through Netflix and, and all and OTT and all the other kinds. Um, and so which means the generation knows that what they want is sort of more mature as well. So which means they say that, hey, before I join, let me get, take a few months. Um, I've even said, uh, seen people are not really harping too much on the pay sometimes. They're even okay to take up, uh, you know, uh, no pay interns as well, by the way, which means that they're looking for a, an experience and that gives them three to six months of an experience. And post that, uh, both the organization and the interns have an opportunity to then say, hey, I want to commit um, for the long term. The long term could be two, three, five years. Uh, but then what we've seen, at least it's Dury, is whenever we hire that way. Uh, so we have a minimum six months, by the way. We don't really have three months because it's too short a time. Uh, post that, the, the, the longevity of people in the company is generally much longer and far more committed uh, than, than we directly hiring from the market uh, without really any, uh, any sort of experiential internship. Uh, so to say. And this has really worked well for us across tech and design and marketing as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We haven't really experienced so much uh, in sales just yet. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it it seems that for years, the, the, the stereotype around internships was that the intern comes in and basically does photocopies and they get coffee and so on. So what you're saying about kind of providing an experience, something that's more holistic, something that they actually learn from, um, 
is a big step forward for everybody because, you know, obviously the companies get somebody who's passionate and the intern gets some real experience. But do you think a lot of companies out there have that same mindset that they need to provide an experience, they need to kind of really focus on this as, as an opportunity for growth, as opposed to an opportunity for a company to get a lot of photocopies? Absolutely right. I, I, in fact, I've never really seen any internships, at least post-COVID, being just a pure photocopy because everything is digital now, right? Um, which also tells that, um, and I don't maybe a personal experience. So we sometimes you've seen um, interns who are able to really add value, at least a couple of our, so we are a very data-heavy product as a company, right? Um, and um, we've seen sometimes interns doing really well um, uh, in the data side of things. But sometimes some of the inputs they've given actually became one of the top used feature of our platform, right? Uh, which actually helps the company grow its revenue. I mean, imagine hmm. from interns be doing photocopy to actually making impactful work that can actually bring in revenue is, is probably a uh, hundred years in between both of that, right? Uh, and I think that's what we've been able to see. And at least today, um, the whole interns around saying at least good quality interns um, are not really harping on saying that um, they they really want to do ABC. They want to have good quality work. And as long as they have good mentorship and good culture and good team, uh, they're happy to uh, come in and work. And what we've seen is um, um, uh, post-COVID in that sense, I think in a way, um, we've been able to achieve this kind of a stellar internship experience, even 100% virtually as well, uh, over multiple tools like Slack, Notion, and different kinds of collaborative tools. And when everyone's virtual there, they, they feel the culture. And then they take up the full-time opportunity post that and they're willing to come into office, provided things are open back again. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes all sense in the world. Um, when interns, I mean, if, if you're throwing these interns into the thick of things and they are, as you said, you know, doing a tons of tools, you know, they're on Slack, they are, you know, operating within the company's database and so on. How do you ensure that, I mean, given their relative lack of experience, that what they're doing, A, is helping in terms of potentially being a detriment, but then it's also, but then it's also at the same time is also secure, you know, kind of given that they're playing around with things that if it leaked or if something went wrong could be catastrophic. I mean, how do you ensure that the interns are kind of like staying on the right track when it comes to all of this stuff? A great question, right? I think the popular joke goes, I forgot which, which I think was a Netflix or HBO. I think where an intern did, um, did some, some, some error on the system, uh, and I think everyone got a mobile notification of the app, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it was a testing. I forgot when that was. I think it was Silicon Valley. Yeah. 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 Maybe, right? Yeah. yeah correct. Um, yeah. So what we have done, um, at least personally at Zlevery, is we have a maker checker model, just like how banking systems work. So interns always are the makers. Um, and there is always a level of checker as well. But a checker is a, is a mentor or the team leader they report into. And the ownership of anything that's coming out of the intern's work is held responsible by this leader the team lead and not really by the intern because you really can't make them own it up, uh, which, which I don't think is fair to them because it's the first experience at all on a, on a corporate job, if I may say so. So, so the ownership always lies with the team lead and they're okay to do that because they're not creating something, which means they're not spending 100% of the time on something, but just 20% of review, which they're more than happy to do it as well. So I think for us, yeah. at least there has never been any issue more on the core product side. Uh, because we handle customer data. So we've never had any kinds of issue around that at all, um, Nick. 
Do you, I mean, in, in terms of having the checker in place, in terms of setting up, was is it a is it a heavy lift to do that? Because I'm just thinking that other companies that might want to adopt a similar system to put that in place. I mean, did it take a lot of effort and resources, or was it fairly simple? I mean, in terms, if you had to explain this to another company, explain how you did it, um, what would you tell them about that? Great. So that's a one framework at which in which we at Zuri operate, uh, which across teams we use. It's called it's called test, grow, and accelerate. Mm-hmm. So uh, by that, what we mean is anything that we do build internally, which we're doing for the first time, everything is done by obviously the professionals, uh, which is the testing phase. But of course, after that, we know it kind of works. We know what to do. There's a playbook. All that is clear. Um, then we start growing additional team members, right? Uh, bringing them into it to build more features or more integrations, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then we move to acceleration phase. So interns only come and work on on stuff that's already in the acceleration mode. Right? Because we know what's happening. We've done the done the whole thing, but work has to be done. And then people who made that today sort of get bored saying, I can't keep doing it again. So which means it becomes fresh work for an intern, um, but repetitive work for somebody who's done on it for a longer time. So we only put people on those kind of work on top, the acceleration mm-hmm. mode. So which means uh, for them, it's a great experience. They learn, we tell them what to do. So for the checker, they know exactly what mistake will happen because they've gone through it already. right? So it's not really that much amount of a learning for them. So it just works beautifully well for us. Yeah. And then, I mean, once you've had them for a while, how do you sort of evaluate, what, what sort of framework do you use to evaluate whether they'd be great for a full-time position? I mean, what, 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 are, what do interns do that sort of send that signal? Uh, so so uh, at least for us, um, um, we only hire interns who really want to take up a job immediately after with us. That's the first qualification criteria. Um, if people say, I've already got a job somewhere, but I've got some time, so I want to try something. No, you don't qualify, so we don't even get them. So that is a sanity check we do on step one. And that's how we get people in, by the way. And then yeah. we do tell them how we're going to measure them, what we're going to measure them on. Um, and we do give that sort of KPIs to them, right? Um, if it's data, then something's around data, integration around integration. Design is pretty clear what's around that and, and stuff like that, right? It's mostly output driven output based and not really input in that sense so they also know it's a responsibility and we treat them like adults and what we realized is when we treat them like adults they deliver right mm-hmm. um, uh, so for us um, once the people go through that whole thing we have a we in fact we have a mid review and a final review so if there's any issues we do tell them in the mid review for them to do a course correction uh, otherwise we, we do you know we just give them inputs and at the end then the lead who is evaluated with them and also what happens is when they work on the projects that they are put on we also know that there are positions in that place to fill in after they finish work as well so they just slide in into that role um so that's how the evaluation is normally done um and we issue the offers uh, to an extent that we even pre-qualify the salary expectations if any from the beginning so there are no surprises even on that at the end so yeah oh that makes sense and when you're talking i mean during all these evaluation rounds and also during the initial applications and onboarding and so on when interns are talking to you about like what particular needs they have, like what they actually want to get out of the internship, um, just in general, do do a lot of them want to improve their technical skills? They want to improve their soft skills or they just sort of, they want to kind of figure out their career goals. I mean, what, what does it seem like the interns who are out there now, what do they want out of internships and how does that sort of impact their, their thinking about their broader career? So you mentioned three things. I think the first one and second becomes uh, this or that. Most mm-hmm. Mostly people working, coming for tech, don't really want to check out the other skills on whether they can interact with people and all that. It's purely tech and the product, 
right? The people trying to do it in marketing side of thing, they want to do the second, not the first kind of a thing. So it's it's either or, or the first and second option you just mentioned. Uh, on the third part, definitely, whether it can be fit in culturally, is it a place I want to work? Is a common evaluation pattern? All of them look for, right? Uh, and more importantly, at least considering Zlori is a startup, uh, people really, really know that. So it's, it's, it's funny how one of our interns who took a job finally with Zlori said, uh, she had 10 offers. The 10th was Lurie. And I yeah. asked, why did you choose? All right. That's because I know you guys will give me the most work and others won't because others are big companies and I want more work. All right. Um, so it just worked well for us and it worked well for her as well. She works really hard on the top performance today as a full-time employee. But that's a kind of, that's how she wanted to join us. Right. And, um, and also as a personal experience, whenever people are 50-50 and we ended up giving an offer, uh, they've always quit sooner. Right. Yeah. So I would yeah. rather, I would either take a zero or a one, uh, even that one is just from one person and zero is from many, that's okay with me, uh, versus uh, any other way around. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to shift gears a little bit and just talk about, I mean, in terms of what, what you're doing broader, sort of beyond internships, because the idea of software as a service having wastage and how you're working on automating efficiencies um, is really fascinating. You know, obviously it, the pandemic only accelerated this drift towards software as a service. Not that it didn't have like a huge amount of momentum and uptake before that. But the thing that I keep thinking about is given the complex in a typical tech stack for a company, you have all these complexities and you got tons of, you know, APIs and services and subscriptions and everything like that. And so what you're doing, I imagine a is sort of horrifically complex, but how do you, I mean, given that complexity, how do you actually automate those efficiencies in a way that kind of works for companies? I mean, how do you, I mean, just, just walk me through. I'm just, I'm so curious about it. Absolutely. So in fact, the first problem, um, like, um, that we solve, com- help companies solve is a problem of visibility. Mm-hmm. The fun, the first, the funny part is nobody even know what they have. So forget about yeah. the rest and what they can solve with that, right? So it's the fancy term for it is called shadow IT, right? Mm-hmm. Which means 70% of the application stack a company employs or uses, even the IT team is not aware of. So the first problem we help solve a company is 100% visibility into the tech stack. That's what we help them solve. Uh, okay, now, Saidu, thanks for showing us what you've got, uh, what we've got in our environment. That's fantastic. Now, what do we do with this? So we help them do two things, uh, save money and help them save time. By that, what we mean is we help them optimize up to 30% of the software spend because we believe that's wastage, that's right out there. Um, maybe a little bit of depth on there. How do we help them save? So we say that there are duplicated applications. There are unutilized applications. Uh, there are unassigned applications, meaning you've got the licenses not assigned to anyone. There are underused applications. Uh, you've given to an employee, he or she logs in once six months. Why the hell are you paying $1,000, right? The last one is undeprovisioned, which is the most scary part, which I will step in with shortly, which is ex-employees still having access to your, your application stack, right? Mm. Because you didn't even know what was there with you. So you didn't remove access for them after they left. That's another big problem, right? Um, that's the optimization part. We also yeah. help them automate. So what we tell customers is, we help you save money when you buy from us on year one. But we can't continuously keep saving money because after a point, we, we would have streamlined the entire operations. But then we will help you automate the entire tech stack. Meaning when employees join the company, you need to give them access to at least 10 tools. 
Google Workspace, Slack, Notion, maybe maybe if, if they're a podcaster, then Zencaster and stuff like that needs to have access to when they when they join. All of that can be automated on our platform on a single click. No more going into each application, giving them access, blah, 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 nothing. Same way when an employee leaves the company, you can remove access for all the applications over a single click as well. I think these both um, are superbly efficient ways of automating an entire software stack for a company. Um, so, so we solve the problem across visibility, optimization, and automation. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, how much in in terms of the the scope of the problem of waste? I mean, is there any? I mean, what sort of metric? do you use to apply to companies? Like, I mean, how much, I mean, how do you, how do you sort of frame that part of it? Um, like how much money are companies losing? Or, I mean, how do you, how do you sort of quantify that in terms of how do you quantify waste? So when, when, when companies um, connect with Zuri, they also upload their expenses and contracts as well. Okay. So we know exactly how much you're paying for a software. And okay. because I'm at the meta layer of your entire software stack, I know who's using, how many times are they using, how's the usage, are they using it mm-hmm. properly? Um, if you bought 100 licenses, have you actually assigned all the 100 licenses to people or it's just lying in the pool? All of the data I have. Once I have, then I'll tell you, then we have the numbers, we have all this data. We marry both and tell you, hey, you're wasting probably $14,800 worth of Google licenses and maybe $6,000 of Notion licenses uh, or $2,000 of Slack licenses, right? And it's pretty actionable. And on Zuri, we don't only tell you how much you waste. We'll also tell you how to take action, which means if which users you remove, you can actually bring the licenses back or not pay your vendor during renewal is all something we can tell you, right? Hmm. So it's not just a 30,000 feet kind of a consulting outcome or something, but actually the core results through which you can actually bring back some dollars back into your bank account. It, it also seems like there's a potential market. I don't know if you're exploring this where with AWS and Azure, the amount of storage and compute and so on that organizations use, like sometimes it's it's really excessive or it's not very efficient in terms of what the internal people are doing with, with AWS. And I wonder if that's another sort of prime territory because people complain all the time about their AWS bills. I'm just wondering if that's sort of in your in your focus. Um, not really at this point, Nick, because I think that's, a, that's again another... So I think both... Software stack management and cloud management are both complex problems uh, at mm-hmm. its crazy scale. So yeah. we do not really solve the cloud management problem. Of course, you can connect the AWS and Azure instances on Zuri to check mm-hmm. what's the consumption like, how much is spent like, who are using it. But we can't help you optimize the servers within an AWS to help you save money. That's the space we don't mm-hmm. enter. But rest, everything we, we do. Yeah. It seems like this is a really opportune business right now also just because a lot of tech businesses obviously are you know, I mean, the largest of the tech companies are cutting staff, but it seems like there's also kind of cost cutting in general going on everywhere. You know, there's sort of this battening down the hatches in response to people fearing a potential economic recession. Are you seeing a spike in business related to that? Are people saying like all of a sudden that we have to figure out our, our spend on these things just because it's it's time to tighten up the budget? Yes, right. I think I think normally what happens for most businesses right now, the business slows down. But for us, we're inversely proportional. For us, we're seeing most traction right now as we speak, right? Yeah. Um, in cases, what happens is, simply put, even there are layoffs in IT teams as well, unfortunately, right? Uh, so what now happens is less people have to do more. And then uh, an important 
part of the job is managing the software stack. And we have a system to manage all of that automatically. So which means now we don't have resources, you now look for a process or a system in place to solve the problem for you, which means companies like us uh, are being called in to say, hey, can you help me with this problem? We said, absolutely. Right? So just put up product plugin inside that, and we will probably do 80% of the graduate automatically, uh, and you just have to spend 20%. So now suddenly the IT team, which is, um, uh, which is a leaner team, is able to still deliver to the same efficient expectation of, uh, of a CEO team uh, versus, uh, versus any other way. Cool. That's great. And that's it, folks. It was fascinating to talk to Sethu because of his insight into so many things, from software as a service to what kind of culture might suit interns best. Here are some of the key takeaways from our discussion. First, if you're an executive or a team leader who's hiring interns, keep in mind that interns want enriching experiences. If you're committed to just having your interns do grunt work, you know, the digital equivalent of photocopying or whatever, chances are good the relationship won't fully work out for either you or them. Second, companies should be prepared for their legions of interns. That means ensuring that interns can do meaningful work without inadvertently causing chaos. Review with your team what you need to do to ensure that everyone accessing company data does so in a safe, informed way, for example, among many examples. Third, keep an eye on your driven and engaged interns. They might end up becoming some of your best full-time employees. And with that, we'll see you next time. And remember, DICE is your best resource to find the tech talent you need to fill your open roles. And for technologists, the best place to grow your tech career.